You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another episode of the X-Men Podcast. Thank you so much for checking out the show. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Welcome old listeners. Welcome new listeners. If there are any, I hope there are some. <laughs> uh, this is the second episode back from hiatus and first with an actual interview and guest. My man, Josh Middleton, formerly of Architects and currently of Silosis. But we will get to that interview in a little bit. Your boy needs to go on a rant, okay? Uh, so you might want to skip ahead <laughs> 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I don't know how long this is going to be, so bear with me. But I had to talk about it, and I'm sure you may know about it if you're following online craziness. And essentially, Thyatta's murder, Death Corps band fired their singer, CJ Mc, McMahon, I think is his name. And, uh, you know, call, caused quite the brouhaha online. And a lot of it is just the reaction to it and essentially people equating it to cancel culture. And, you know, most famously, what was it? Uh, Ronnie Radke basically said people should boycott the band and offered the singer $20,000. And I guess this is over some things he has said about um, trans people and that like some mother of a maybe possibly non-binary child should be burned to death and caused a whole bunch of stuff. But there's just some things I want to kind of put my two cents in about this. I, I did a little Twitter thing about it. It was very kind of diplomatic, but I feel like I have a vested interest in this because it's very similar to what happened with Bad Wolves and our former singer. But keep in mind, we never fired him. We did not even have that power. So again, this is narratives that get out there um, that are not correct, but we were accused of the same thing, of canceling. And what, you know, there's a few things I just want to put out there. I mean, first off, you know that piece of the puzzle. And what people do is they, it's like, um, you know, like an iceberg. They see the tip of it and think they know everything about it. But I want to reiterate, I don't, you don't, no one knows what's going on behind the scenes of these bands. So maybe you saw that one post and go, well, he shouldn't be kicked out for that. I'm like, well, maybe he's a fucking asshole. I don't know the guy. Maybe he's a very nice guy. But sometimes, you know what? People in bands are assholes. They're drug addicts. They're alcoholics. They're inconsiderate. 
They physically abuse people. They verbally abuse people. They're unreliable. They don't show up on time. They don't do their job. There's 50 fucking reasons you could be kicked out of a band. And situations like that, what people don't realize is if you were a singer in a deathcore band, all right, I'm sorry, but your opinion, your negative opinion about trans people, or I'm sorry, they're, they're not against trans people. They're just trying to save the children, all right? Where in the fuck in your job description is saver of children? Okay, you're in a deathcore band. Don't you sing about death and destruction and darkness and murder? But now you're also saving the children. Okay, I don't know. I, I must have missed, missed those songs. But the truth is, once you enter a conversation like that, and very similar to what we dealt with, right? Now, you are basically putting everyone you're in a band with in the path of that backlash, right? So when we were going through what we were going through with the Tommy and the markers and the anti-Black Lives Matter and all that stuff, I'm getting messages and emails from black fans, from old friends, from family members. Every single dude in Bad Wolves, our parents were reaching out like, what the hell is going on? Right? So who gives someone else a right in a band to say things that affect everyone else in the band and if you don't care about that, right? If you're the you're the mouthpiece of the band and you're saying crazy shit, and listen, maybe you don't think it's crazy, that's fine. But saying things that are getting a lot of attention, negative attention, and then affects everyone else, to me that says you don't care what your actions do, how it affects the people around you. And how is that being in a band? Right? Being in a band is being considerate of everyone else. You know, you have to share space. You have to share money. You have to share resources. You have to share responsibilities. And people don't think about that, right? So that's one thing. And by the way, that's only if that one piece of the, of the puzzle is what led to it. There could be 50 other things that you don't fucking know about, but you jump to conclusions because everyone knows everything. This is reactionary thinking. It's broken thinking. And what it is, is people, it's an overcorrection. Right. So people are like, I hate cancel culture. So then what it does is because so many, you know, boy who cried wolves out there, people who are actually guilty of shit are going to get away with it now because people are just so anti anti against cancel culture. So like Russell Brand just got caught, you know, caught in trouble with some things. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But guess what? If it's true, there's a bunch of people who like Russell Brand now just for the sole fact that he was, quote unquote, trying to be canceled. And that's an overcorrection. I get it. I To me, the cancel culture thing, wokeness, it's just PC shit. And guess what? Even people on the left don't really like it. All right? It's this thing where people think that being against it, like, I'm a rebel. You're not a rebel. Like, on Rockfeed, they did a uh, poll. Like, who is, who's with Ronnie? It was 92% to 8. You're not a fucking rebel. You're, you're just in another mob. That where everyone thinks the same thing and thinks you're against the mainstream. You're not. You are the mainstream in this scene. In the metal world, the rock world. Like, no, that is basically, it is not too different from like a Joe Rogan audience. It's mostly male. It's mostly white. It's probably leans more conservative. So you're not against the grain. You're just, you're just part of your own little mob. 
And then when you go, hey, boycott them, now you're just canceling the band, right? I can't imagine what the guys in that band, what their inboxes look like right now, what the comments on their posts are. And it's probably shit like, you guys are pieces of shit. I hope you die. Uh, you're nothing without the singer, blah, 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 right? Because I went through that. And it's like, so you're saying if I'm in a band or there's you know five people in a band and we don't want to be in a band with X certain member, we're not allowed to make that decision. You get to make that decision for us. We have to be around someone we don't like because the, the anti-woke mob is going to come cancel us. Like people are not thinking, they're just reacting. And there's so little empathy for the other people. These are people have to live. And you're like, oh, well, so let's destroy their career. Let's make it so they can't eat. And I'll say this right now. If you're telling people, hey, we're, we want to make it so you don't make money, so you can't eat, you can't pay your bills, I'll, to quote an anti-cancel culture warrior, Dave Chappelle is, as I say, akin to killing him, killing a man when you take away his, his right to earn a living or a woman for that matter. You know? So it's there's hypocrisy built into it. It's groupthink. And you don't know all the details. It's none of your business. I, you know, one dude I know is like, hey, the, the band, the fans uh, pay your bills. I'm like, Okay, but guess what? You're not, I'm not a slave to you. You know, and I, listen, I get all the, the counters, right? If it was, you know, 40 years ago, I mean, think about how many bands probably would have fired band members for doing fucked up stuff back in the day, whether it's Motley Crue with Vince Neil, whether, you know, I can go think of a million things. Dude, I mean, all these bands, Led Zeppelin, and they were like banging like teenagers. And I don't mean 17, I mean younger than that had, you know, teenage wives and girlfriends, no one cared, or maybe some people cared, but it was just the norm. And I guess by today's standards, they would be quote unquote canceled. But these motherfuckers would do crazy shit all the time. Say terrible things. I remember, what was it? Uh, uh, from Skid Row, the singer from Skid Row, Sebastian Bach. He had a shirt that said AIDS kills fags dead. Right. And I remember there was a, um, an MTV news piece about it. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> If uh, someone had a shirt that said, uh, it, you know, cancer kills grandma's dead, I'd be pretty sad because, you know, my, my grandma died of cancer. And he he kind of got it in the moment, but he was just doing something stupid to be shocking. But, dude, if he did that today, obviously, be pretty bad. You know, same thing Guns N' Roses, right? They had that song, One in a Million. You know what I'm saying? What was it immigrants and faggots come to our country? Crazy shit. They, that song, you can't even get that song, I think, on streaming now. You know, I'm sure they regret it. I'm sure Sebastian Bach regrets it. And maybe un under certain circumstances, so people will be quote unquote canceled. But we have to have an environment where bands can make decisions about what they want to do. And you go, no, we're going to make it so you're homeless. We're going to make it so you're starving or your children don't have clothes because we're mad because our favorite singer is not there. It's fucking baby. It's, it's, you know, there's something vicious about it, you know, where you think it's your band. It ain't your band. All right. Just cause you bought the record and you got the t-shirt. It's not your band, you know, or yeah, I, I mean, think about like, what if 
Van Halen, you know, fired David Lee Roth with like this level of, in, you know, people being able to speak their mind. Would they let's cancel Van Halen, even if he didn't do anything wrong, just because they like that singer, you know, just the lack of agency. So, so listen, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie's a nice guy to me. I've had nothing but good interactions with him, but I disagree with you, brother. I think you're on the wrong side on this. And, you know, CJ going to be fine, right? If all these people love him, right? Every dude, you go in the comments, this rock feed. It's like I said, 90% are on one side. So they'll buy the CJ solo album or his next band. He'll be huge, right? He'll get the, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, was it Joe Rogan, right? When he was canceled, he gained 2 million subscribers. Be being canceled is like the best marketing plan you could get. Tommy raised $200,000 in the pocket. Free money. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got no $200,000. You know what I'm saying? So, you don't need to cancel me. <laughs> but, you know, it's not being canceled. Where can't he go? He can go to normal places. He can get another job. No one is above. Be it's like, oh, it's almost like you should say, if you're an asshole in a band and people are looking to get rid of you, you should go out and say some crazy stuff that offends some group. So then once you do get fired, you can go, oh, they they, they just fired me because I was canceled. You know, it's, it's, it's a great, you know, get out of jail free card, but I'm just going to say this, the guys in that band, um, I feel for you because I know what you're going through right now. And I hope you guys, your, um, resolve is strong. You know, I think they'll probably have a better, you know, hand at things than we did. Cause at least, you know, they don't have one person with way more power going at them viciously for months and months and months and months and months on end. But other people are doing it on behalf of that and people with a lot of power and you got to be careful with that power. So again, someone doesn't want to be band with someone. It's not your fucking business. All right. You, if you like them, you start a band with them. Why not go do it? You know, but no, no one it, it's this entitlement, you know, that you, you know, we've all been fired. At some point, I'm sure <laughs> we all have been and uh, or been in a situation. We've been dumped. No one is in, entitled to be in a particular situation. So, you know, again, I don't know, CJ. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. Um, I'm not saying he can't speak his mind. Um, but, you know, you what you do affects the people around you. And do you care about that? Do you care how their lives are affected by your actions? And if you don't, then that says a lot more about you than I think everyone else, you know? So, and bands are tough things. It's not, you could have a problem child in the band and get rid of them. It doesn't solve all your problems, you know? Cause it's, it's a, keeping a band together is not easy. It's not easy at all. So that's my rant. I hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm sure some people are yelling at their, their phone. Cause yo, I'm in the minority. I feel like, you know? There's a lot of people out there, the, the, the rebels with just where everyone agrees with them, but they're the rebels. I love, these are my favorites. Uh, <laughs> all right. We have a show sponsor and I apologize to the show sponsor for, uh, you know, getting, getting wild with it today, but boys got to do what he's got to do. Uh, this is a band called recurrence and we're going to play a new song from them entitled dig your own grave.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2Z. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. So you just heard Recurrence with their brand new song, Dig Your Own Grave, and that is from their debut album, The Exit, which actually came out on September 23rd. The band has been around since 2008. They're from Independence, Kentucky, but this is actually their first full-length album so congratulations to them on the release of that and this album was mixed and mastered by jf dagnies dagnies <laughs> i'm sorry guys i i blew it um i love cataclysm so i'm gonna i'm gonna figure that out but anyway homeboy from cataclysm hooked it up great band and the artwork work was done by uh nicholas sundin of dark tranquility if you want to check out the band and the album you go to their website which is www.recurrence.band or their bandcamp which is recurrence.bandcamp.com it's on all streaming and digital platforms but you know go to the bandcamp help the band out if you can thank you to them for sponsoring the show if you'd like to sponsor the show Shoot me a DM or drop me an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is EX. Okay. With the business out of the way, we have an excellent guest. We have a Mr. Josh Middleton. He just left uh, Architects only a couple months back, and I got to be there for his last show, which we talk about with Metallica. And, you know, he's got, got Silosis back together. And, He's just, I mean, this guy, I, I admire him so much. He's good at everything. I I fluffer his uh his his nuts very much in this and give him much praise because it is so well deserved. But he's so, someone I've wanted to talk to for quite some time. So I'm really glad we finally got a chance to make it happen. So without further ado, check out my conversation with the incredible Mr. Josh Middleton. Josh, thank you so much for being the guest on the X-Men podcast at the time that you 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 fit the bill. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You know, we got to see each other. Um, surprisingly enough, <laughs> it you know, to, to me, you, you, you dropped a bomb on me. Um, I happened to be 
at one of the off-date shows that Einstein Kills wasn't playing in Hamburg and Architects was playing. And, you know, me and you, we kind of been pen pals, I guess you would say, online. I I don't believe we ever met before before that day, but but I feel like I knew you. Um, But, you know, you kind of dropped a bomb on me. You know, I watch your guys set and we're we're hanging out and you tell me it's it's your last show ever for Architects. And uh, I almost felt like... I'm like, I met this dude. I just met this guy. I feel like I shouldn't know this. This is like this. There's a lot of weight to it. It's obviously it's Metallica. It's the, you know, my favorite band probably is is Metallica yeah, your favorite band. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that's that's a big moment that I kind of, you know, had a chance to be there and kind of spend spend with you. So I mean, what's kind of been the uh, the journey since that that moment that we got to hang out and you kind of experienced that um yeah i mean it was it was a bit of a come down since then because i mean playing with metallica is as you know you're telling me <laughs> it's been my our last it's, show got uh uh postponed so i didn't even i didn't even get my last metallica show oh uh, yeah I, mean, I also missed one of the metallica shows i was supposed to do because i had like the worst either food poisoning or something that i was in bed for a week just and throwing up so i missed one in paris so out of the three shows I was going to do, I missed one, and that was that was tough as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's one of those things that I never thought. I always had like kind of confidence and belief in you know what I what I do, but playing with Metallica, it's like what are the chances and like everything has to be aligned just right. So yeah, a huge dream come true. So it's a bit of a like okay, back to the real world to yeah. some degree. But um, to be honest. It's like a, a week or two after that, um, maybe it was just a few days later, we announced um, my departure. And then the Solosis album campaign was just starting to go because we had already had our uh, release date scheduled and everything was going to start rolling. So uh, I've just been busy since. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely have had time to reflect and for everything to kind of sink in. But, um, yeah, just uh, focused on 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 doing this Solosis record. So, at that point, I mean, you you kind of reflected some things to me uh, that, and you know, tell me if I'm if I'm wrong that it you know to leaving the band was not necessarily something that you had chosen to do. Um, that it was something that was kind of, uh, you know, happening. You know. Not that it was a contentious situation, but no, no, it, it, it was more just like it. It wasn't like a, like a, yeah, no, like oh, this was some surprise, like oh, here, here I am, like this last Metallica show. No, I think it was just like a, an an inevitability, I guess maybe of um, just kind of growing apart and kind of the natural conclusion of uh, a, like a a working relationship or just in terms of like musically, you know, what, yeah. what page we're on. Um, I'm, I, f- I f- don't want to like sell myself short as being like some meathead <laughs> who doesn't appreciate and love all types of music and has a, hopefully like to think a good understanding of a lot of types of music, but I mostly just listen to metal like all the time. <laughs> are, are you friends you know? with, with uh, Scott Atkins? who used yes. to be in a he, he produced the new, or co-produced the new record that's well it, it makes sense because i feel like there's 
these kindred spirits I you know I personally have in this community and you get to get in touch with these people and kind of you see these parallels but god forbid our first time in the UK was with Stamping Ground and it was literally yeah. just me and Scott in the van listening to like the newest Arch Enemy record or just any or Dimmu Boy Gear just and just being nerds about metal and yeah. you know just I think it's to some degree we're all just we're still the same kids. We're still twelve years old listening to Megadeth in our in our head like that same joy, um, and it just kind of sticks with you, right? And um, I you know I see a lot of parallels between my career and your career in that you know we started with these kind of more traditionally heavy metal bands and then transitioned into more modern modern bands. But at the end of the day, you're the person that you are. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I I kind of always felt like I kind of uh, str- struggled to kind of fit in or find my place in 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 some ways because like I, before I was into metal and when I was going into metal like really early on I was into like skateboarding loads and like the culture and like buying skateboarding home videos and it was in like the mid late nineties like skateboarding was all like hip hop and like there was a fashion associated with it. And then I started buying Kerrang and I was getting into like corn and heavier stuff. Uh, and obviously corn, you know, looked a bit more like skaters, but the stuff that was like more metal as a kid, that was like into baggy jeans and skateboarding, the stuff that was like long hair dudes and leather jackets. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. So then it took me a while to come around to like, just appreciating and loving like all types of metal. And then, and sometimes like, I feel like I'm the guy that's too metal for other situations as well. And <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely comfortable in where I s- sit with it all, but it's, uh, it's, I feel like back in the day as well, like, especially in the metal scene, the elitism was way more intense. Yeah. So when I was getting into like extreme metal, I, that death metal was like my first like subgenre that I really like honed in on. And, uh, I'd have like friends that were maybe a bit older than me. And, you know, the fact that I like Deftones and Slipknot, they were like, no, 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 you can't. Whereas now, like, it's, everything's just a bit like, everyone's just like, yeah, cool. If you like that, whatever. And, and metal has a bit more accepting, but it was a bit like being a kid and navigating all that stuff was definitely, I'm sure maybe you might have had similar experiences, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just a slightly earlier generation. So it's, we're all going to have the stuff that, gets us into it right the gateway stuff and for me it was you know early 90s so the grunge era but it was like so it was like all that grunge stuff plus early metallica early guns and you know guns and roses around that time um aerosmith and then whatever was on mtv you know and then that's your entry point and then you start discovering heavier uh more extreme stuff and then you almost like rebel against the stuff that you first got into you know and then and then you rediscover it <laughs> and then you know you know five six years later you're like oh actually allison chains is the coolest man in the world but i just needed to listen to, to morbid angel and cryptopsy for a while yeah exactly <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to kind of uh sow sow those those oats but it, yeah they, we all have our, our our starting point and i think you know i'm i'm of the mind there's no uh there's no guilty pleasures or no. there's no reason you, and it's funny that you said the leather jackets and all that stuff, like 
kind of turn you off at first. For me, that was like the glam thing. Like I couldn't, yeah. you know, the the aesthetics didn't, I didn't really understand it. But then I would like watch MTV and they'd have these uh, top, top 200 videos of all time. And so you would see the old videos and then you'd be like, actually these songs are really sick. And once you kind of got over the, the, the yeah. thing of it. And then, and then I would like not really be into Iron Maiden or Judas Priest because I thought it was like poison or something. Like I associated it as like the same thing. And then it was only with years later that I started to like understand the, the difference. difference. Yeah. 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 And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I imagine you're this way, but I'm very much into the history of, in the culture of heavy metal. And so it was oh, always yeah. important to me to go back and learn, okay, learn about Black Sabbath, learn about these influential artists, you know? Yeah, 100%. I, I do that as well. Yeah. So um, I kind of want to talk about back, like we're kind of already talking about back in the day, but I kind of want to just just get into that a little bit about the formation of, of Psylosis. Um, were you always someone who was like, I'm a singer and a guitar player and I want, and a songwriter. And I kind of want to be the, at the forefront of, uh, an operation or did it kind of happen by accident? Um, a bit of both. So I, I didn't start off singing and I, I didn't sing on our first record even. And we did a few EPs before that. Um, yeah, I was always wanted to be like the brains of the operation and, and the songwriter and, and, and the lead guitarist and stuff. But, uh never did vocals also like we, we were so young when we started we were like 12 so like my voice hadn't broken i was a 12 year old kid so like i'm just you like you started the band when you were 12 yeah so it's like we're not going to start i'm not going to try and scream and do vocals because like, i'm just going to sound dumb so, so when did you start playing guitar riffs when i was eight maybe what see that's why you, yeah. see i was trying to figure out why, like, you're one of these people that drives me crazy because you're good at everything. You know how there's like, oh, uh, uh, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. No, you're a master at like five different things. And it, and, it, and I want to find you and I want to put one of those like, you know, brain sucking things and just steal the talent. Or right, it drives me crazy. And now I'm like, oh, you started at eight. That's why you're a genius at guitar. Like, very kind. Things. I mean, there's I, other aspects of my life suffer because of it. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, no, I actually, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I I think genius does operate that way. That when you because obviously it takes so much time and dedication in one thing and kind of an obsessive focus that yeah. it's it's tough to kind of create that balance. But anyway, continue. I just meant like yeah, specifically like academically. Like it went from like math being like a D and then grades got like music and art. I got A stars in. <laughs> so it just, it was a very like steep slope like that. Which is so, funny yeah. because music is math. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. It, I mean, if you think about it, it's almost most aspects of it. The rhythm is math. The, if you're doing the, um, you know, the theory and the scales that there's mathematical components to all of it. But uh, so so you start. Wow, it's amazing that you started that that yeah. young. But it was I mean, still Silosis. Yeah, so it's like the first band, really. Like, admittedly, that's how long the name's been about. You know, we we were kids for a while. Just like me and uh, met uh, my first day of secondary school, which is I guess high school, like which we start when we're like eleven or twelve. 
um, I've been playing guitar for a while. All I wanted to do, and then I met this kid. He was just like, turned out he played drums. And then it turned out that he lived down my street and I never knew. So I was like, all right, I'm coming down your house after school with my amp. And then we started the band kind of just, just playing covers and stuff. We'd play like Nirvana or Wait and Bleed or whatever else there was. And uh, yeah, like we're just kids, just just couldn't, you know, drive. Had to get our parents to drive us to shows and the internet wasn't what it was. We're talking like 2000, 2001. So no social media and stuff. We didn't really play outside of our home, hometown for a while. So the first few years don't really count, but yeah. Uh, well, the well, the first album comes out in two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, was that on Nuclear Blast? The first one? Yes, yeah, it was. Um, and it's it's funny, like listening back to it because I, I rem- I remember when you guys like hit the scene, and it was that was a really weird time because basically bands like God forbid, and you know if, if you weren't at the top of that heap, we were all sh- struggling. There was kind of a downturn, and. Yeah that was the rise of deathcore and the rise of gent. And those are kind of the new cool things. And we were not cool people, you know, and it was, so when you had a band that was coming out that felt, you know, not even know what to call it because you clearly can't call it new wave American heavy metal. Cause you're not American. <laughs> I don't think you guys are metalcore in the same sense that I think a band like bullet for my Valentine was like tagged as metalcore. Yeah. Um, so it's like I don't know, melodic thrash. I don't know if that's yeah. I mean, well, obviously, like with, with youth, like you tr- and not being a very experienced like songwriter and stuff, you have an idea of what you want the band to be, and executing it doesn't necessarily equate to what it is in our head. So we, I was already kind of sick of, especially just locally in terms of like playing shows, like seeing like the more generic metalcore bands that were doing like a like a third generation rip off of like as lay dying yeah which is there were a like, lot of those <laughs> yeah where they just just like all those riffs and there's nothing against especially in germany germany and i'm not gonna yeah yeah, yeah. Names. <laughs> exactly so uh there was just it was more just everyone was emulating that thing and i just got didn't want to do that so we're like right we're gonna tune our guitars up e standard i was just like listening to injustice for all all the time and we're like we're not gonna play any breakdowns and because I'd come up appreciating a lot of death metal and stuff. I was like, we need to appeal to like the the real metal heads. So we're, we're not going to do breakdowns. We're going to tune up, but I always wanted to do it to be melodic. Like, you know, the, uh, when I started really getting into thrash, the one thing that kind of surprised me was that people would rip off Metallica, but no one would like rip off the really epic, melodic, majestic, side of what they did it was always just a riff so i was like who's doing like stuff that sounds like the intro to battery like no one yeah uh so i i that's like where a lot of the, the melodic influence came from I, I i just appreciate all types of melodic stuff and then yeah i i definitely see like how people will call that metalcore and like obviously we grew up listening to you know like kill switch and god forbid and stuff so it's it was going to come out in our music. I think after that record, we wanted to make a point of going even more, like trying to emulate like death symbolic era kind mm-hmm. of stuff, and we went down a bit more of a progressive 
trajectory, which was was kind of like just a knee jerk reaction to not wanting to be called metalcore and lumped in with that and just do our own thing and go off on our own path. And that really helped our career, I think, because we just set ourselves off on our own. But it was somewhat of a, just a reaction to not wanting to be called metalcore. And it got to the point where we were like defiantly staying in standard tuning and not doing anything that resembled a breakdown. And all of these restrictions actually led to the band going on hiatus before I joined Architects. Why, why, why like do you say I, that? Huh? Why do you say that? Because I felt like I boxed the band in. Like we had been playing in E standard and we were known as the band that like didn't down tune and, and the riffs were quite technical and we didn't play like breakdowns, but that wasn't necessarily like f super fun to play live. Yeah. And I'd still go home and listen to Acacia Strain and stuff. So, you know, I I just was like, what have I, I've been doing this like, and I'm still proud of all our records and all of that stuff is still going to be a huge part of our sound. Like I love thrash, but um, we just kind of, yeah, I was just like, I, I felt like we couldn't start down tuning because it would annoy me when I see bands live that I liked that played in the standard and then they down tune to be on their later albums like Sepulchre and then, it just sounds wrong when they play it live and we're like a small band so it's like so if we go to america i have to take a guitar my backup guitar and then the guitars in another tuning if we want to down tune on the new record and i was overthinking everything yeah and then it got to the point now where like it's just like it really doesn't matter like any of this stuff if we want to play a riff that's like inspired by a pantera chug and we're worried that people are going to say oh that's metalcore because it's chuggy we're like, okay, well, who cares? Like, I, I don't care if people call us metalcore now. Yeah, with God forbid, I thought the exact opposite. I was, it was, we're bored. Like every, so every album would kind of, the tuning would change just to, just because I felt like in the same, if you play in the same tuning, you're going to get the same ideas. But if you just throw a wrench into the works, it'll just, you know, change it up. And like, we started using, we tuned the A for, for a bunch of the songs on this album, Earth's Blood. And yeah. just because all the bands in our genre, like no one was doing that. And we were like, let's do something different, you know? Was that annoying to tour with more and more guitars? No, uh, the only, th so basically I would just use the seven string for the, oh, and okay. I would do, and I would do the six string songs on the seven string um, right. to make, to make it easier. And now it's like, I, you know, I, I'll usually bring like with Bad Wolves, I'll bring a three guitar case and I can pretty much accomplish it and, you know, maybe use a six string for for maybe one or two songs. And then now with God Forbid, what I've been doing is I bring two guitars, both with Floyd's just a a drop C and a, and a D standard. And then we've just been using the pitch shifting and the Kemper for, yeah, for, yeah. for the down to stuff. And it doesn't sound as good, but it's kind of like worth it like it's just like you know what it it's good enough to the, the you know especially because we're doing like fly dates so it's not yeah, like yeah. we have like a, a trailer filled with stuff so it's just it just makes it easier and you can and it's only like a couple songs that we even use it it's funny in, in one song we actually play the whole being the song bat the angels the whole being the song is in c and then the end goes down to g and it's just kind of sick and like like man that's pretty pretty convincing you just do you just use the pitch shifter and it it gets the job done yeah oh, that's cool yeah i i haven't used one at least not to that degree i thought didn't you guys play in c sharp because we're in c sharp now wasn't so, gone forever in 
Gone Forever, all the dropped songs we did in C sharp because it just sounded tighter. Um, oh. But because we would do like, for the first few albums, it'd be like D and then drop C. And then, so, you know, we had our guitar set up that way and like drop C for some, some reason, it just did, you know, just did not sound as punchy as the D song. So we tuned yeah. it up just to give it a little more sonic consistency, but all those songs live, we play drop C, but on okay. the record it's C sharp. And that's, and I think that's still the only time we ever, we ever did that. And then the whole next record constitution is all drop C right. the whole thing, you know, and that, but the drop C thing is weird because it's like. I feel like Killswitch is like the ultimate drop C band. So it was yeah. hard to do riffs in that style and not feel like you were sounding like Killswitch, you know? Yeah. But, and that's like what I was talking about, like with us tuning up to E standard. Cause tuning, yeah, like you said, tuning makes a huge difference. Like people call us melodic death metal all the time. And I wouldn't say there's any direct influence by any of that stuff on the band. But if you played our riffs in drop in like B tuning or something, it would sound like at the gate. So yeah. it makes sense. I, well, I'm always like, nah, it's just coming from Metallica. That's You know what's another band that tuned up was was Azalea Dying on their last few records. They were playing in E flat. Yeah, way more thrashy sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean I think they did it because it just it sounded punchier, but it was also like every if every metalcore band's playing in drop C, it's like you're just gonna sound like everyone else. You gotta find things yeah. to to stand out. Uh, yeah. Um was Silos is ever like w- when you were doing it, um before Architects, was it like a full-time band or were you like doing, working on the side, producing? Yeah, yeah, doing stuff on the side, producing or doing artwork for bands. Um, we'd, we'd be busy and admittedly just like, I, I mean, I was just living with my parents for like the longest time, just yeah. please don't kick me out, let me. I can relate. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That, just getting by, like how did you, um, speaking of production, was that uh, something you got into just as a um, necessity to kind of do your own demos or are you just someone who was just passionate about recording? Did you go to school? A bit of both. I didn't have any uh, training for it. I, uh, I, I guess like there was no one in the local area to record with that I would, thought we could get a good metal sounding production with when we wanted to do demos. And especially like in that time, most local studios would still be on like ADAT or tape machines and not many people would be as experienced with computers. So you'd have to be, the amount of, especially being kids without jobs, like the amount of time you'd need in a studio to make something that was tight enough. Because most of getting a good sounding record is the performances being good enough. Sure. And all of that, like, it's just, you need, even if you're doing like a four song demo, you really need like at least like, 12 days which we didn't have the money for so i uh immediately with the little money i did have i had like a home studio set up so i our first two eps i just recorded um myself out of necessity and just like sampled kick drums off records just like stole it and triggered the kick with that and that kind of thing um also yeah i mean i, I was just a huge fan of i just keep seeing Colin Richardson and Andy Sneap's name on like all my favorite records. And then I started to just like obsess over those productions. Be like this record, like even if the music was bad, I would still listen to it because it just sounds so good. Do you, do you have a favorite era or, or record records from each of those guys that, that are your favorites? Um, I really like uh, 
uh, Bloodthirst was the first Colin Richardson one I was like aware of. I was the Cannibal yeah. Corpse one. That one's sick. But I still think um, that's their best sounding album. They've, I don't think they've anything they've done that sounded as good as that. In my opinion, I love it. Yeah. Um, Impossibility of Reason, your record, the Gone Forever one. Like this is snare drums are so like it's just the. Yeah, just so uh, satisfying, and then just that whole era, like especially guitar tones, like a lot of the Andy Sneap stuff. I remember, you know what the 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 band, the first Andy Sneap production I ever heard, and I heard this band before I even heard Pantera was Pissing Razors. Oh yeah, there was a song on a Kerrang CD off their first record, and the production I was like, it just sounds so metal, <laughs> like and the production like and his ride was so like, ting, just yeah. sounded like you could picture yeah just this like mechanical machine so um yeah I, I was part of it was necessity and part of it i just was gravitated towards good sounding records and if you have good music and a great production it's just like so satisfying so uh yeah i i've only really got a lot better at it in the last like five years i would say um it's something that i've always been able to like produce and record to a good enough degree but in terms of mixing um i never had uh much time spent on it did you you mix the the new record right yeah dude that it's incredible man Congre by the way congratulations Thank on you. on the new album i was you know I, it showed up I was like, oh the new, new silence let me, let me check this out and i was like it's like my face was being blown off um i think it's by far the best thing you guys have have done um and yeah sonically it's just the mix is absolutely incredible. The guitar tone, my God, damn! What, what's what what's going on? Is there there a secret besides the yeah. performance? Yeah, there is. Honestly, like, and I have to thank uh, Nolly Get Good, who is a big name in the production world these days. He he went down a rabbit hole of like really getting nerdy about speakers mm -hmm. and like looking at like all these Mesa cabinets from like a specific year and. That basically, I think he figured out that after, and he spoke to someone at Celestian, after a certain year, like 2003 or something, they switched production from the UK to China um, of vintage 30s. And I think maybe it's something to do with like, speakers are like paper, essentially, you know, it's like cardboard. So I think like the humidity in the factory maybe, or the glue or something, <laughs> but something's different. And if you get speakers from like, earlier than the year 2000 or around that era, they sound like the Silosis record guitar tone. Wow. And all those Andy Sneap, Colin Richardson tones that I grew up loving. It's like, oh, you just find a cab from that year and it will sound sick. <laughs> so yeah, it's all in the finding a good cabinet. Dude, I, I believe that 100% when God forbid was recording Constitution of Treason, we did the guitars with Jason Sukoff. You know yeah. Jason? Not personally, no. Yeah, well, I'm sure you Very like, like a lot of his records that he's worked on, but he, he, we went to some rental house or something and they had, it was this, I don't even know what, what version of it, but it was a Marshall straight cab, but it had that kind of like, um, like the, the face plate of it almost looked like some special kind of, I don't know exactly what, but it wasn't like a normal, like. 1968 or something like that. Was but, it like kind of silvery kind of? Yeah, it was some kind. Wow. I don't, yeah, I don't know. But I never even see, but we brought that thing in and I swear to God, it's the key to why that guitar, it's like the the best tone I've ever had in the room where you're like, 
everything just feels like it's flowing and it's easy to play and it has that sound. And it's literally just the fifty one fifty two with the with the tube screamer and and that and it's like I I need and I feel like I need to find that cabinet and just to you know do it. Yeah, I need to. I need to. I bet you if I asked Jason, he's like, I don't know. I don't know what the hell that was. <laughs> yeah, I I I like nerd out on this stuff a lot. But I think it makes a big difference. It definitely made getting the guitar sound on the record a lot easier. I mean, is um, it? Are you still doing it from an old old school perspective, where it's like we're getting the tone and then we're recording, or is this a process of reamping and going into? Yes. So we recorded we recorded everything, almost all the music anyway, with Scott Atkins in various studios. And I took my cabinet, which is. Well, you can't see it, but I'm touching it. Um, I took that with me and we used the same setup, but we, when I got home and was mixing, I found it was just a little too dark for what I wanted in the mix. And so I reamped the guitars here. But yeah, we wanted to capture like a real amp. Uh, but I, I, you know, I have a Kemper and a Quad Cortex and they're, they're great. So if, I don't think anyone's really going to hear the minute difference in in that, but it's fun capturing the sounds for yourself. Like I, I always want to do everything I use in a mix. I want it to be from me if it's drum samples or something as well. Yeah. Are you using like the Kempers or Quad Cortexes live, or are you still like amp amp man? No, no, I've I've been over using amps for yeah since like 2015. Uh, I've been using the Quad Cortex live recently. And you're and yeah. you're feeling it because I've heard great things. Like I I don't have one. I, I want to try one, but I'm like I have a Kemper. I just got some Axe Effects stuff. I'm like at some point I probably <laughs> have to stop. I would stop. say the Quad Cortex is like the next few percent along from the Kemper for the feel and yeah. like when you like roll the volume down and yeah, just the response is just. I mean the Kemper's so close, but I feel like you're talking about minute percentage difference, but. It's def. I'd say it's closer to the feel of a real amp, the quad cortex. I mean, just the axe effects, I think, feels better than the Kemper already. But I feel like that's a lot of that is just the Kemper. It's the same hardware for however many years. So, you know, the axe effects just keeps improving and, and, and improving. So, yeah, yeah. One of these days, I'll have to get one of those quad cortexes and get up, get up in the game. <laughs> There's tons of new stuff coming out as well. So, Everything will be. <laughs> no, I know, of course, yeah. It'll it'll keep. Yeah. I said pretty soon it's just gonna be like our cell phones. This is gonna, this will be our amp. It's like oh, just dial it up. Yeah. And send it to yeah. front of house with your uh, neural link. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from the brain. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you do all you like I said. You're one of these guys. You do all these things so extremely well. Um. Do you have like a specific routine of like? I'm practicing this amount of time. I'm working on vocals this time. I'm doing production. I'm doing band business. Um, do you have like a methodology of the madness to kind of keep all these things sharp and be as, cause you, you're, and you're very productive online. You know, you're doing Twitch, you're creating content, you're doing playthroughs. I mean, this, I know how time consuming this stuff is and how hard it is yeah. to get it all done. Um, it, it but is. But it's hard to do all that and then also keep your skills sharp or have to, all right, I have to learn a new technique or or or, 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 or whatever. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, especially the content thing is not something that I'm like. I think you've just I've just got to like you've just got to play the game to an extent. I, I used to be like, oh, you know, when when you know we grew up buying magazines and stuff, and the bands were like, you know, you didn't hear. Yeah, you know, I didn't know what most of the guys I liked or um, sounded like until we go see a show. Like when they spoke, you know, it was it was always like a mystery around bands. Um, so I was kind of like reluctant with social media for a while, but I think you've, especially now, like with, you know, just doing Solosis and trying to build it back up, um, just got to play the game and lean into it a bit. But uh, to be honest, I was inspired by Matt from Trivium. I've known for a while now, just for being, having an excuse to practice, like going on Twitch, uh, particularly for vocals, because I, you know, if I wasn't on tour and, especially if I'm not um, the front man where I'm having to use like vocal stamina and stuff, I'd forget like my technique. So I I'd, I'd started doing Twitch in the pandemic just to kind of stay in, in touch with the audience. And I admittedly, it's not something that I've tried to like grow or turn into a business. It's just like I go live on Twitch on a Monday night because it's my keeping myself accountable for practicing, my vo- like keeping my vocals in shape. And vocals is, I think one of the things that you have to maintain better yeah and i wanted to get better as a vocalist i, I really stepped up my vocals on this record i think in the past because I've, I've always been like a guitarist and i think as much as i always put effort into the vocals and the lyrics i think there was probably some part of me that was like yeah if the riffs are sick i can scream over it it's gonna be fine <laughs> whereas now it's like no you know the vocals you need to connect and you need to like express yourself and the i put vocals at the forefront of the new record and like they're loud in the mix and they they need to be prominent so i've spent a lot of time working on my voice with guitar playing i haven't actually i have no practice routine i'll go like a week without playing sometimes and admittedly like it does start to deteriorate and every now and then i'm like oh yeah i better practice but i don't have any uh desire to like get better or be the fastest guitarist in the world but I do spend so much time like writing music that that's kind of like my practice or yeah, like writing solos, like there's stuff solos on the new record. that are the hardest ones I've had to play. Yeah, you um, have like some Jeff Loomis sound and shit in there. I'm like, you're a super shredder. It makes me angry. All right. Teach me, <laughs> help me. Okay. I'm struggling over here. My hands don't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not struggling. I, uh, I, you know, I came up listening to you as well. Well, like, I'm, I'm saying it's a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it is. Guitar playing is a struggle. Yeah, I, honestly, like, I, I was never into guitarists, like shreddy guitarists. The, the guys that made me want to shred was like Trey from Morbid Angel, the dudes in Cannibal Corpse. I wanted it to sound just like angry and like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you're so really I, I clean was... and you have, you know, excellent tech, tech, very clean technique. You're doing some like, you know, it's not, it's not some slash shit. You know what I'm You're doing some like Loomis shit. It's fucking no joke. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's just, um, I, yeah, I mean like growing up, I got, I got a four track. Like I used to record myself a lot. I think that's the main thing I've, I've always recorded myself. So being in production, writing demos and recording demos, just hearing like, whoosh, whoosh, string scrapes and noises or like playing a solo and there's a note ringing out that's not meant to um when you record yourself day in day out every day um i think it just 
I just trained my brain without even thinking about being clean. Um, you know, I'd listen to like and justice for all, which is obviously like recorded to tape. And I got a, like a tape four track thing when I was a kid. And it was like, the only way I'm going to sound as good as that, if I play it in as good as that, because I didn't even know that people were using computers at that point to record. So, uh, yeah, it was just like, if I make a annoying noise, I need to figure out how to not do that. So most of my playing has just um, become tight due to recording myself all the time, I think. Yeah, I, I think the next generation of players, because that's how they learn how to play, that's a big reason why they're cleaner and tighter. Um, whereas, you know, I first but They started... also rely on it and like they rely on editing as well. Some of them. Yeah. Like you're, I'll hear stuff and be like, I can hear your edits there. And you like, I've, I've heard like records where it sounds like Guitar Pro because everything's like note by note. Yeah, but you you are right. There there are definitely some players that are just super clean and insane live because of yeah. But I well. but I think just that idea of the honesty of recording, right? The honesty of just like this is what it sounds like when I play. But and if that's how you learn, and you're constantly confronted with the reality of you playing, as opposed to me playing in a loud room with a bunch of noise, and you're not really hearing yourself until you get to the studio for the first time and you hear how much you do suck. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, like, you know, we had an experience recording with Steve Evitz, where it was like, you know, in that antiseptic studio, turns the game down, brings the mids up, and all of a sudden you're really confronted with like what it means to be tight. And that kind of put me on a mission of like, okay, this is the standard. This is what I need to be. And then you and you have a few studio experiences and you kind of understand what that looks like, you know? And, and, and back in the day, it was more like you have a certain amount of time and you have to be prepared. You know, you have to practice the songs before you get to the studio as opposed to, I feel like so many bands now, like their writing and recording process is the same thing. Yeah. So they're recording something that they literally just wrote, um, you know, and, the, and the, like Max in, in Bad Wolves, he's so fucking good. It's like he could write something and two minutes later, he could play it perfectly. And I'm like, I I hate myself. Because <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I write something. But yeah. No, but I, but I feel like if I write something, yeah. just because I wrote it doesn't mean I can play it well yet. It's just an idea. Then I need to sit down and actually figure out how to play it well and get it up to a certain level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I kind of want to talk about... um how you joining up with with architects and how how that all came about was that a situation because i know you did a small stint with them previous yeah. um on on the road uh but when that was when you were approached with that was that a situation where you were kind of ready for something new was like or or was it just like this is a great opportunity and i have to kind of jump on this so yeah so when the old guitarist Tim left in 2012. I did some filling in. Bear, bear in mind, we we came up in like the same UK scene and played shows together. We started playing, I think we played our first show in 2005 together, Solosis and Architects. And we play shows together like quite frequently back in those early days. Um, so I was friends with them already, um, stayed in touch. And then when there are the guitarist Tim left. I started filling in for them for like a summer, just the festivals. And then I did some the following year. And 
they asked me to join like tom the guitarist at the time was just like just join our band and i was like oh like i had so much fun with them and stuff and it, it was great and i got to fulfill the chung 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 chunky <laughs> satisfaction that i wasn't getting from solosis uh but solosis was my baby and like we were you know not as big but we were doing like getting good tours and stuff and you know i you know architects at that time was tom's band and he was writing all the music so i wasn't sure really how i'd fit into that anyway um but yeah so then when I got to a point where I got kind of frustrated with Solosis, put the band on hiatus. And then I was aware that Tom was sick um, for, you know, for, for quite a while, but it was then like, I can't remember how many months, maybe like five months later that he passed away. And then the guys were like, we want to do this tour that we had lined up. Um, like he, it was like their record had pretty much just come out yeah well like gods have abandoned us and then there was a tour that was already lined up um so i kind of just stepped in just to play that tour and, and and play live and then um it was kind of implied that you know they wanted to carry on and that it was likely that i was going to be joining the band um yeah so like it, it was one of those things where it was it felt like a really weird, not to get too know, spiritual about it, but like just a weird kind of just everything just like unfolded really like easily for me. Mm -hmm. Like I'd put Solosis on hiatus. I had just moved in with my wife. We were, well, we were about to get married. Um, and but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, but we we're going to do this and then i but then i ended up joining architects and then i was getting my bills paid i was just like on a like a, a nice like monthly wage that i could pay my bills and buy food and stuff and i was all everything just sort of went there you go <laughs> which just felt like really weird and the, the weirdest thing i would like um i can't remember what i was going to say but yeah it, it was it was just like a okay this makes sense i should be doing this like I, I I just about come around to the idea of doing Silosis again, just before Tom died. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, I already put the band on hiatus. Admittedly, we didn't announce it. We didn't announce that Silosis was on a hiatus. So a lot of people think that I stopped Silosis to join Architects. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then just sort of began writing for the first record and just went from there. Was there kind of an additional weight or pressure kind of being the replacement for Tom and everything that kind of came with that, um, either internally or like worrying about uh, the perception from fans? Yeah, I mean, definitely I, I, my approach on stage was like, especially that first tour, like first off, Silosis and Architects don't exist really in the same scene. So most of their fans probably are like, don't know who this guy is. Um, but yeah, like, you know, just that my whole mindset was head down, play the songs, uh, not just like stand there, but, but in between songs, it's not like about me. I am guys. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it was definitely uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and just cause like I wanted to be there, but I also would rather Tom was there. So it's a very weird. Yeah. 
uh, spot to be in. So you said you started writing kind of pretty early on. Was that a big adjustment, kind of trying to adopt a different style and go yeah. into? Yeah. Funnily enough, I'd actually sit, spoke to Tom. I was like, I might start a new band. I already put Solos on hiatus. I was like, are you going to find it weird if I start like writing some songs in the architects tuning, which is C sharp standard. And then the low string goes down either to a G sharp. So when you play a power chord, it's an octave Yep. or some songs goes to an F sharp where the strings are in unison, but an octave apart. And it's almost like an eight string. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I was like on a six I... or on a seven, always on a six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember saying like, is it, are you, you going to find it weird if I just like, still this tuning he was like no go for it so i'd already had a couple of songs for a new band that i was going to do and then um i kind of came around to the idea that oh, okay I'm, i started already shifting my mindset for solos as being like actually i can just write in a different tuning and because i submitted some songs to nuclear blast like i'm going to do a new band and they were like why are you with, doing a new with band? vocals sounds... yeah yeah it was just like an like just a essentially just me and program drums and i they're like why do you want to do a new band that sounds just like solosis but in my head it was completely different but of all i really needed was like a new mindset or fresh perspective yeah but those songs ended up being uh, mortal after all and modern misery of holy hell they're admittedly like quite different but all the riffs are the same and the process was i'd write a song give it to dan drummer um tom's brother who would be the funnel mm -hmm. to like keep everything architected so yeah it definitely took a while to get used to uh, those songs at, at the time i wasn't trying to deliberately sound like architects but then i was trying to figure out from playing all the songs live like what tom isms were on guitar and like what chords he did and, and that kind of thing did uh did you have anything to do with the song Doomsday? Yeah. Not the riff. That's the Tom yeah. riff. The Tom Tom riff. So it's it's like <laughs> I feel like the Doomsday moment is like a it's it's a metalcore moment because it's it's there's obviously been a, a bunch of YouTube <laughs> videos on this and kind of like the <laughs> the tree from that record of of all the bands that that ripped it off and were, you know, or inspired, excuse me, inspired um, but it's, it's, it's a credit to like the, you know, to me, there's like these different eras of the rise of architects. Cause I, I remember when, when the band was in America, at least they were still called architects UK. And I remember yeah. hearing, the, hearing the record and they signed to Century media, like right when God forbid it was like leaving Century media. And I was like, Oh, it kind of sounds like every time I die or, or something like that. And, yeah. um, and I remember like download festival, same around time I saw them, they kind of saw that sound and I kind of forgot about them until you know, all our gods have abandoned us. And I heard that and I was like, holy shit, this is like, this is fucking great. Like I was, I was bl blown away at how, how, how good the band I fucking just ate up that record. And it seemed like they were just on this trajectory of, of, you know, and there was so these different moments and that was obviously a, a big moment where that song blew up and you could see you. You know you're truly successful when you're a leader and people are following you, you know? Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess I was just like, what, what do you have any thoughts about kind of 
being in that in that position where you know even if you didn't write personally write write the riff that this is a band that was doing something that was moving the scene um yeah i mean it was, it was a weird one to yeah it, it's hard to kind of gauge it from the inside i also was not really funnily enough always like loved architects always i always had this thing where i wanted to like impress tom with my either my songwriting or my riffs and because i was always like into architects but admittedly i wasn't really into many other bands or anything like architects metalcore wise yeah. so in terms of like keeping up with what bands were like copying that style or ripping stuff off or even some of the stuff that i wrote from holy hell and onwards that was like came from me i was never too aware of who was doing what and personally i think if anyone's like emulating something uh for me anyway like if it's something i've done then i it's just like a compliment yeah um but yeah i mean tom had a very distinctive way of writing riffs for sure um so the moment you try and emulate that it's it's like uh, there, it's kind of like there's, there was a local band to me back in the day who sounded just like dinner escape plan and it was it's like you'd see in my like this is insane like this is so impressive they were like older than us but at the time they were like 17 18 but it just sounds like damage escape plan it, like as impressive as it is like that's their sound um, you know you know what's I, ironic yeah. the first dillinger escape plan ep sounds exactly like dead guy like i don't know if you ever heard a band called De dead guy like in new jersey like from yeah. the scene it's almost uncanny it was funny i heard the dillinger record before i heard the dead guy thing and that is that funny when that happens you're like oh shit they they cop their whole thing so it's <laughs> yeah which do i think which the story of that is we all start em emulating you yeah know, our, our you have to that's how you learn to write in your own style and hopefully after a while it just becomes its own thing but yeah in terms of people like um emulating that thing i can't really speak for um obviously tom but obviously how the other guys feel about it. i think there's an element of obviously that stuff's quite you know that's tom's sound so i think um yeah it's a weird one but ultimately like it's just flattering i think if people are inspired like obviously inspired by something you've done absolutely um yeah so on on, on that what, what pretty much since you joined the band or playing with the band, it's been just a steady rise, even up till now. I think the it seems like the band is still getting bigger. Um, yeah. What? How did that feel? To, it's a, and, like, and again, not to um to to downgrade any of Silosis's um. We're a small band, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but but it's it's like it's I, but what I'm saying it's not even a discredit to anything else. It's just it's a different thing when you are part of something that is on a rise where you're, you're playing clubs and then you're playing theaters and they're all sold out. And now you're moving up to arenas and you're getting bigger support slots and the record sales are going up and the murder. You mean, you just, just being a part of that um, and, and being up close with it. Um, how did that feel like that? Was there a sense of accomplishment or did it feel almost like you're on someone else's ride? Yeah, it's a weird one because um, I was writing a good chunk of the music. It was just me and Dan, Dan the drummer, and, and me writing. 
Um, but at the same time, I jump on at a point where things are already going well. They've done all our gods have abandoned us. And like jumping on at that point, it, it was hard to feel. Even if I'd look down at a set list and be like, oh, most of these are my songs. Like towards the end, maybe that might happen. Or maybe not, I can't remember. But um, it still was tough to, not tough, but um, yeah, it, obviously I, I'm very aware of starting Silosis myself and it being like my baby since I was like 12 and then jumping on in a band, going on tour, straight into a tour bus, straight into like being able to pay my bills. Um, so there's always, even no matter how, even if I wrote all the music and everything, I'd probably still be like, there's like a, just a, a, a separation, I guess, yeah. from it. Um, so it was hard to feel like that. And then, you know, there's just like, particularly the circumstances in which I joined the band made that even yeah. harder yeah. to. Yeah, you can't, it's that. not like there. there's a um, reluctance to make it a party or make it a, you know, because, and, and, and I can kind of connect to that on a much different level with Bad Wolves taking off in light of, you know, a zombie single that was probably partially successful because Dolores O'Riordan had passed away, right? Like, you can't, you're still kind of like... That, sorry, just quick, that was before she passed away, though. You'd we recorded it, or... it before she passed away, recorded, but, yeah, it, but yeah. it was released after she had passed away, and she was supposed to record on it and became a part of it, but it was it was all tied together in a, in sure. a, in, in a narrative where it was really cool that it was blowing up, but it was also, you know, it was hard not to feel that there was, you know, one could be perceived as an exploitative moment, you know, even though we were do donating money to the family and all this stuff. So it was just, I'm different situations, but you know, there is some, I think, uh, there's a moment of, going okay this is cool but it's also not time to throw a victory parade you know yeah yeah i get what you're saying so yeah no but 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 at least i, I would hope you know because i you know i know how how hard you've worked I, how hard i've worked when you do have moments and you actually feel like okay did you feel like this is what this is what success is in in music uh, yeah, I guess so. It's weird. Like when you're in it, when you're in like a band or like you're just goofing around at a show backstage and like just doing dumb stuff with your friends, it doesn't feel like we're in some like huge arena band that's going to go play an arena. You're like, oh, this is how it feels just because we're doing it because we're a bunch of like, you know, just idiots. But but the bigger bands, they it's, it's got to be so different for them. Like they're, they, you know, they're like, you know, have their own separate rooms and they're all like strung out or something. I don't know. So it, it, it never felt quite like that, but maybe that's just me or my perspective or, but yeah, I feel like when you're in something, it's always going to be slightly different to what you might expect it to feel like. But like I said, the circumstances around it and joining the band, um, when it was already at a certain level, it's hard to process regardless of like the Tom situation, like just jumping on at that point and not feeling like I got it there from the ground up. Like with Silosis, it's a lot easier to um, appreciate the, the wins when you've 
been there from the start, I guess. Not that I was unappreciative. It just didn't necessarily, no matter what, um, necessarily feel like it was my wins. And that was mostly sure. like my own hangups. Yeah, because I mean, if, if you really look at it, once you were in it, you were a very large co contributor. So I, w I would hope at some point you would, it would, and, and that's when the band really got really successful. It seems like it got a lot bigger after you joined and progressed from there on. <laughs> that, that, that was like a humble like don't don't pin that on me shrug not no no i'm not i'm not saying you are the reason i'm just saying no, no of course yeah. you know you, you know it, it I appreciate is that. but there's no reason why one couldn't go you know feel feel that where it's like even with bad wolves successes or failures i've never felt super attached to it because i'm not i don't run the band I contribute songwriting, but I've never been the main songwriter. Like you've probably written a lot more for Architects than I've ever written for Bad Wolves, you know. Um, so it's there is I under totally understand that that distance, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's like it goes, it goes. And as ways. I'm sure it's the same for you. That's nothing to do with anyone else. That's just your own personal connection to it. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, if you have oh this this single went gold, it's like well I didn't write it, I didn't play on it, <laughs> you know. It's like. <laughs> Cool, you know. Trust me, I'll I'll do my little brag. I'm like, you know, you know, you know, do do the little PR, <laughs> put it out there. But uh, you know, yeah, it's of course it's it's definitely it's definitely not the same. Um, but I would hope you you would at least, you know, I think it's important to always recognize because probably like you, you've had those periods where you've been creating music and putting all the work and. You aren't making a living. You do have to take a side job or do other things, and you can't do it as your main focus. And then when you get that opportunity to actually write and record music as a living, and and have a you know relatively middle class or comfortable living out of that, you know, just recognizing that you you in that moment are in the very very small minority of lucky people that have the chance to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. That that wasn't lost on me. And I think like every time I get asked by people, like, oh, what advice do you give to people aspiring to become like a professional musician? Like, they obviously the the work and like good songwriting, all that stuff is important. But all the people that I know that are successful in the industry are just people that just stuck with it and just like doing it. It's like same with you. Like you've you've had various like paths and stuff, but you obviously are dedicated to you know the music and you just you just you will find a way to get to where you want to be and and for me just being like content uh with like writing and stuff um is i i want Silosa to be as big as we can and like be the biggest metal band on the planet but i'm also just like I remember the last tour we did like in 2016 just being like this is sick if this is like as big as we get i'll keep doing this for the rest of my life because i love it so yeah um I, th I think it's just like if you love what you do and you are passionate about it just keep going and you'll someone will recognize that at some point well one thing I, I i have to imagine is that you because of doing architects are a much more well-known person now than you were say five years ago and that is a great launching point and kind of marketing tool to actually create more silosis fans like i imagine silosis is probably 
there's more eyeballs on Silosis now than ever because you're coming out of this band who has this big pool of fans that are that possibly might be interested in what you're doing. Uh, maybe that's that's not something that's like been obviously like deliberate. Um, and like I said, like we've always existed in two different like scenes and genres. Really, like we never we've never toured with each other before um, because architects were in the more like metalcore scene. We we're in the more like proper metal scene. <clears throat> um, so it's in terms of like Silos is like winning over architects fans. Like it wasn't something that we we're like, Oh yeah. That, we'll, well, I wouldn't we'll even say that. It's just, yeah, it's just it, more, things go beyond that. There are Josh Middleton fans. Like the people I, yeah. I, I can't imagine just cause someone likes architects and they like, it's not like you've only done that. You've always been you know uh relatively open about your other band and you've put out records while you were in in the band and played shows so it's like people know what you do and they like what you do and so that you know i think i think there's now the biggest difference between i think back in the day is like we're each of us are our own little hubs of you know things we create and projects we're a part of and they can be a diverse set of things and people will follow you everywhere you go, you know, despite that. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely happens. Did, um, actually it's kind of like a two, two part question. So I might ask it in kind of two different points. Um, did playing, playing with architects and seeing the success and seeing the, like what type of songs and what type of, things seem to be working on this bigger, broader level. Um, does that like impact or inform like, okay, I'm going to approach doing music with Silosis a little differently because now I know all this stuff about what works. Uh, not like consciously. It's definitely not something that I uh, necessarily thought about um obviously like with writing for architects like, i was thinking about it for my writing of, with architects and admittedly like this record the solosis record was written 2020 21 the same time i was writing the last two architects records so mm -hmm. if anything sounds similar it's because it's those things were written by the same person it's just like how i write but um funnily enough it was the band's solosis manager that actually had to like be brutal with me and just be like you need to like you need to write a better record because we did a record just literally we released it february 2020 we did like this big comeback show in london the record came out and we we're like all right we're back and then the pandemic hit yeah and yeah i remember uh the band's managers being like the record's good but it's not got enough like moments and it's not memorable enough, memorable enough. And he was like, you need to write, you have it in you to write a classic metal record. That's going to be like an undeniably great record. That's going to stand the test of time, but you haven't done it yet. And I was kind of like, Oh, I feel like we've always put like loads of effort into our music. And he was just like, it needs to be like more memorable. Even if it's heavy, like it needs to feel anthemic. So admittedly, you know what he's talking about hits. That's what he, he didn't uh, want to say the word hit, but that's kind of what he means. I mean, he, he like, he manages behemoth and stuff. So he's definitely yeah. not trying to get us to go. No, but, but behemoth <laughs> has, hits. Hit. 
you yeah, know what I'm I saying? Mean, like, even extreme bands have those big songs. Oh, yeah. So for me, like, my references would be like People Equal Shit by Slipknot. Like, it was never a single, but it's anthemic and it's, it's still a like, hit. super heavy. I mean, I mean, yeah. Heretic Anthem is a hit. Exactly. It, for that yeah. band, it's a hit, you know? Yeah, or even stuff like Great Southern Tranquil. Like, it's hooky and you, yeah. like, you hear it the first time and you remember it the next time. But I would always feel like with Silosis that we'd try to, um, like we wouldn't go for the most obvious easy thing because like it maybe it's like an english thing maybe like it just felt a bit too like oh we well we can't get away with doing that stuff people yeah. might think we're i don't know so um no, I, know that, I know that feeling <laughs> the new the new record i know what you're saying about like seeing what worked and and everything but the approach actually just came from somewhere else even though even though it might end up in a similar outcome in terms of writing stuff that is more fun to play live audiences are going to interact with better live and it's going to be more memorable um that actually just came from our manager just being like because if you listen to the last solosis record previous cycle of suffering it's still you know tons of riffs and like we had a, a big comeback song which I'm, I still think is great, but there's a section in the middle where it's like just like a building up with a snare, marching a snare pattern. It's like, this is a single, guys. Like, well, why have we got this <laughs> happening in the last? But I mean, that it works live and everything. But um, yeah, the, it was, he was quite pivotal in like trying to get me to like refocus and like get us to really think about all the records we grew up listening to, which were like classic records and all my favorite records, but stuff that we weren't, putting into solosis because we were maybe like too afraid to or something so um that's where a lot of that push came from and to just try and make things more focused but still keep the songs interesting try and vet, get as many good riffs in there as we can but yeah it just to me it. it just feels more of the moment you know where it's like i listen to your older stuff and it, it reminds me of trivium or bands of, of a certain style, a certain like it feels classic and which is sick and I'm I'm all about that. But there's something about this new record that feels like there's a different kind of weight to it. There's a different type of I don't know, it's more pissed. It's it's there's like I said, there's just it's, it sounds meaner and more representative of I think the current state. And it's also like in many ways Silosis stands out more now than the band probably did in 2010. You know, like yeah, there's yeah. there's not as many bands doing that style. It's like, you know, you guys bleed from within. I don't even know who else really. Uh, like, like I, I had a we question. We share a drummer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but I like I, you know, I did a Q and A, and people were like, "Oh, does today's scene remind you of, you know, the 2000s scene?" I'm like, no, because. There aren't really bands, like you haven't, you know, when's the last time you heard a new band that came out? I was like, oh, that band sounds like Lamb of God. That band sounds like Devil Driver. Like it doesn't, yeah. they're like, you know, but in a way where it's like, if a band did, they would probably, people would probably be pretty, pretty excited because it would, it would sound fresh in the context yeah. of, of what's going on because we're in a very, very kind of samey era where like a lot of bands with a certain aesthetic sonically are really popular right now and everyone's kind of dipping in their toes in the same water yeah I've, i'll give a quick shout out to malevolence as well who are another band that i yep. feel like we're uh 
it, it's, it's and it's funny that they're all just uk bands but i mean i spoke about this with you at the metallica show i feel like there's just this like gap in the metal world where there's tons of amazing like underground death metal coming out and the scene's great but just in terms of like you said like that kind of like pantera lamb of god machine head like middle lane metal there's not many bands doing it and like personally i just want to hear sick riffs all the time uh and not necessarily like just the same riffs i want to hear noty trashy riffs or whatever and uh yeah there's just not many bands doing it and um i, th I think we tried to bring our sound into like the modern age and modernize it but without necessarily trying to be influenced by like metalcore or something and to me like a lot of it was just revisiting the roots of the band which no one knows about which is like because we were kids when we started and we didn't release a record for a while there's this period where we wanted to be the heaviest ugliest band and it was coming out of the new metal era so all those ross robinson produced records where the vocalists sound super pissed and like that intensity and that feeling of all those like intense ross robinson records but also the first time you have a band practice or the first time you like hear like great something trenko and you're like i want to trash my bedroom right now the better we got as songwriters and our instruments the the more we neglected that stuff from where we started so I, that's where i wanted to like bring all that stuff into our sound and like not be there's still all the technical stuff and we still have crazy solos and all of that but i wanted to bring in some of that like energy and like intensity to like that middle lane metal which like i can't help but make that make it seem like maybe that's boring saying middle lane like when it, but i'm talking about like no, that machine head lamb of god stuff but inject no. that like intensity to it dude i know i mean i i yeah. just it was uh it was metal injection fest the other day and it was testament machine head fear yeah. factory right and i'm like sick and you but you look and one thing i kind of noticed and I, I wonder if what if i wonder why this is why you're not seeing a lot of bands of that ilk come up is like it's an older audience you know yeah. i don't i feel like young people are really tied into like deathcore or gent or the modern metalcore thing or you know but 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 classic metal sounds it's like they only really want it from old bands you know it's like if they're if they're, if they're gonna listen to classic metal they're, they're just gonna listen to anthrax or metallica they don't you know so it's like i i think all bands probably struggle with that it's like what's your market who are you speaking to and i know oftentimes like you can't really think that way you just have to do what you do and yeah and sometimes Definitely. it's better not to fit in rather than just be like oh we're part of this scene and you know whether it's i remember when mastodon came out it was like who where where do they fit in but yeah yeah they created their own thing or like a band like between the buried and me they came out you're like who, who where do they i don't even know do they play with these people do they you know and those bands it definitely some, it, it could be tough because you like because i feel like we did it to a degree with solosis um particularly yeah. in the, the period but like you we noticed that we came back after the pandemic bigger than we had been when we left off. And I, I don't think that was necessarily because I was in architects at that point, at least, especially, I think it's just the band grew on like word of mouth and like, like a cult like following the people that liked us really liked us and stuck with us, even though we were on hiatus. So, uh, and I, just because there wasn't many other people doing it, 
Yeah. So I think like what you're saying is true. Like you just have to just stick to your path. And if it's different to everyone else's, you, and if you like it, there's bound to be other people that will like it and find it. It's just going to, it might take a bit longer to get there. But if you stick with it, like it can happen. Are there any plans to tour in America? Yes. I don't know if I'm going to get, like if I'm allowed to discuss things, but yes. Okay. So things are in the work. Things are getting yeah. cooked up. For next year. Yeah. All obviously. right. Great. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, And do you... uh. Do you produce other bands or do you just mainly produce your projects? Uh, I do, yeah. Um, I've obviously co-produced the Architects records that I did um, with Dan. So I, just, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I've done just smaller bands, but it's something that I want to do more of. And mixing is something that I love doing. I just mixed some stuff for Creator live, which was fun. Um, yeah, I, I love doing that. I'm on that uh, Nail the Mix next week as yeah well, i knew I, I need to go check that out i have i have a code i need to oh, yeah. check that out i can learn, learn some stuff because i know nothing yeah. i'm the worst producer <laughs> in california <laughs> well, yeah it's it's the combination of getting good at the producing and the what you're talking about trying to get cleaner on guitars just yeah. recording yourself every day that's i know that's where it is all right all right well listen brother i i, I really appreciate you taking your time to, to to be on the show um you know, and just, you know, you're now you're an X man. It's official. You're part of your part. When I start doing this, like making like jackets, you know, it's like you get the X man. You've, you've been on here and you get the jacket, you know, yeah, you can walk at the around at least a pin badge. Yeah. Something, something I need. I need something for all the, all the alumni. But, um, yeah. is there anything, uh, you want to promote anything, uh, happening that people need to know about? Um, mainly just the record just check out the new solosis record because it's uh full of riffs full <laughs> um, of riffs full of riffs yeah uh no that we're gonna be we'll be over in the u.s next year yeah but you u.s fans need to jump on it because it'll be our only tour I'm, I'm sad you guys aren't on this headbangers boat thing that we're doing with with lamb of god and god forbid because you guys would be perfect for that yeah, maybe next year. Next year. No, I heard there's well. a next year. So I'm, I'm sure the call. Maybe. Listen, I mean, I, I know things are happening. Yeah. I mean, that that's not what I was hinting at earlier, but I, uh, we share a management company with Man of God there under 5B. So oh, right we on. could hopefully hook that up. But Believe From Within are on it. So you'll see our drama. Oh, I know. Uh, I hope so. they play at wi wildly different times than God forbid so they don't make us look bad. They're too good. Uh, they are they they are a well-oiled machine right now. I just saw them like a week or two ago, and they've been playing like a lot recently. They are, yeah, Ali's an insane driver, but they're all they're all sick. Yeah, and their fr their front of house engineer deserves like a Grammy. Like it, like they were one of the best live sounding bands I've ever heard in my life. Oh wow, awesome. Yeah, it was. It, I saw them at the House of Blues in Anaheim. Um, yeah incredible absolutely they, they they blew everyone away in my opinion there were some great bands there you know not to take anything away from the other bands but they they stole the show so but <laughs> all right brother man thank you so much for taking your time um i really on. appreciate it and uh i will be in touch all right have a great day yeah definitely all right thanks man cheers
So you just heard Pariahs, which is from the brand new Silosis album, A Sign of Things to Come. Banger of a track. I feel like that's one of those songs that you have in one of those try not to headbang challenges because it's a, it's a slammer. Some serious soloing and stuff happening there. I love the production, man. What a bad man. And he's so so nice and calm and, you know, you know, just just chill. You wouldn't you wouldn't even expect that. You know, he doesn't have like, you know, crazy long hair or like spikes shooting out his face. No, nothing crazy. Just just seems like a normal, normal, nice guy. But thank you, Josh, for taking your time to be on the, the program. I I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it. And uh, yeah, pick up that record. You will you will enjoy it. And anyway, I'm pretty much out of stuff to talk about. I got to go play at the Whiskey Tonight for the Ultimate Jam Night. Going to do some old school tunes. It's funny how like it'll be simple. Like I'm doing a Judas Priest song and it's simple, but it has little things that just are screwing me up. And you're like, why Why is this simple thing screwing me up? I'm like, do, do I suck? What is it? But, you know, it's just when you're playing some old school stuff, there's a certain vibe there's this to the intricacies that you got to either you have it or you don't and so uh you know hopefully i don't ruin the song tonight i practiced it but i still feel like it's getting on my nerves maybe i'm a little too all over the place i have 50 things going on i'm trying to promote this new bad wolves record coming out november 3rd die about it pre-order it pre-save and i have this god forbid stuff coming up trying to get the show back up and running and just life stuff, which, you know, I feel like I'm always coming up short on that. But it's been a lot. But I think I'm going to pull through. All right. Day by day by day by day. We keep it moving. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to the show. Tell your friends. I appreciate you. That's all. That's all. We're back. All right. And, everyone, and I got a lot of good feedback about the last episode. So thank you, everyone, for who listened to that. But every time I take a break, you know, the the, the viewership takes a little dip. So, we you know, we got we to bring it back. And you want to do that with consistency. So we're, we're doing some consistency. All right. Love you guys. Mama's out. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.